and welcome to episode 168 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the bullshit. This week we're going to be talking about Star Trek First Contact on your Some Kind of Star Trek podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. We're not watching Star Trek for the podcast. I'm watching Star Trek just for me. And I'm at <laughs> Matthew Vose on Twitter. Our guest this week is Sarah from the fabulous and fascinating podcast, Nature Finds a Way. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, when I'm not watching Star Trek for a podcast, I'm also watching Star Trek just for fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, this is going to be fun. I've had so many people in lockdown like, oh, you know, I really want something entertaining, but interesting that I can just binge and just enjoy in the background. Like, there is always Star Trek. Yes. Always. <laughs> there yeah. are 700 episodes. There's a million <laughs> movies. You can just watch Star Trek nonstop. Something for everybody. Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited to have you here because I think you started Nature Finds a Way so you could talk about Star Trek. Basically, yes. Um, yeah, so I started a podcast called Nature Finds a Way, where we talk about different pop culture and biology and nature and science. Um, my friend Lindsay joined me um, after a couple episodes because I realized it was easier to have a conversation rather than do a bunch of research. Um, yeah, and it is not entirely an excuse to make Lindsay watch Star Trek, but it's not not that either. Um, yeah, yeah, and to, then to get to talk about all kinds of cool science and bad science also. Yeah, but about 10% of your, of your episodes so far have been Star Trek related, so... Yeah, that's, that, that, tracks. that tracks. But it's so cool, like, you know, oh, let's talk about the biology of, you know, a, a whale rider, something that is, you yeah. know, actually has, has nature in it, in inverted commas, but also the Muppets. Hey, yes. what, what children would a frog and a pig have? <laughs> Confusing ones. <laughs> Confusing ones. Yeah, no, we, um, I mean, some of our episodes have been a bit of a stretch, but... Uh... <laughs> We just try to have fun and uh, yeah, and do a little bit of science education and yeah, keep our keep our brains in biology, even though we're not working as biologists anymore. Well, that all sounds amazing. <laughs> we would love it. It's just like it's fun, but it's interesting. All I want is to hear like smart people talk about the thing they know, so that's like perfect because it's movies and stuff. Yay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. And and you know, we get to come and talk Star Trek every so often. Yes. Which makes life worth living. <laughs> um, is is First Contact your favorite of the films? Yes. yes. Okay. First Contact might be my favorite in my top five of all movies. Ooh. But don't oh, wow. make me make that decision. Um, <laughs> I just i I have a strong affinity for it, and it I don't know it like came out at the right period in my life, and yeah, I don't know. I just nice. it, I find a lot of comfort in it. Yeah. Is is Next Gen the the series that was for you? Is that the one you grew up with? Or yeah, I grew up watching it with my family. Um, hmm. Almost, well, probably the last half was watching live. I wasn't quite old enough to watch the first half, and then okay. um, I love Deep Space Nine probably more. But in terms of like my Star Trek and like if I had to pick a crew that I wanted to join, it would be the Next Gen crew. 
Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So presumably this came out, you were able to see it at the, at the cinema as well? Oh, yeah. I was Great. in high school and totally went to this movie with my family and my parents. Yeah. Because <laughs> nice. I'm that kind of cool. <laughs> you're, you're in with your people. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, Generations is the first one I can remember mm-hmm. seeing at the cinema, like on release. Um, but yeah, this was the one I can also remember the hype for. Yeah. And talking about the costuming and, they were doing and the redesign they were doing and all of this. So. And this one felt more like a specifically next generation movie rather than mm-hmm. like a continuation of the other six original series movies. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. It was kind of like its own thing. So, Mandy, we've talked Star mm-hmm. Trek before. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you tell us a bit what this is about and, you know, whether you saw this, I know we're going to have a, <laughs> a proper conversation on that. <laughs> okay, so the crew of the Enterprise E, led by Jean-Luc Picard, travel back in time to prevent the Borg from interfering with Earth's first contact with the Vulcans. And honestly, I think I did watch this one. <laughs> Because Zephyr Cochran was super familiar. Like, I knew that James Carmel was him. Hmm. The Borg Queen, like, I knew who she was. And her face is super familiar. Like, when I think about the Borg Queen, that's who I think of. So I didn't realize until I was reading your notes that she was introduced as a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just a part of the Star Trek lore for me. Have you watched Voyager, though? I have watched Voyager. Oh, okay. So that may be part of it. Um, and I've recently watched all of Picard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Queen is just part of the Borg lore for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's entirely possible I really did watch this back in... I would not have seen it in the theater for sure. Um, not in 1996. Okay. But I'm sure maybe we rented it on video or something. Did you watch Enterprise? No. Okay. Did you watch the first episode of Enterprise? No. Oh, okay. I've seen none of Enterprise. Yeah. Mm. I thought you knew that. <laughs> um, so each of the series has a crossover from the previous series to launch it. You know, the first Voyager has Quark in it, the first DS9 has Picard in it, and so on. The first episode of Enterprise has from Cochrane. Giving the oh, okay. the like launch of the Enterprise into space with a you know this is the ship that will seek out new life and new civilizations. Yeah. Okay. Bit. Yeah, it's very cute. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and he pops up in the one of the fourth season episodes, the Mirror Universe episode. He's oh, does he in a little bit because they sort of remix the the big first contact scene. Um, oh, cute. In that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, so you maybe saw this. But it didn't make any sort of impact. I mean, not enough that uh, I've certainly never rewatched it. Okay. Okay. That's, that's I mean that that's where we are. That's why we're talking about it on the show. Yeah, we'll, Give me a break. We'll dig into the impact that it made this time. Uh, in a little Listen, bit. if uh. if I had watched all of these Star Trek films and and things back then, we would not be currently talking about them and making your whole day right now. So <laughs> making give me a my break. whole week, frankly. <laughs> Basically, getting to research and building up to talking a Star Trek film. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, You're welcome. 
For people who don't know or want to be reminded, Star Trek First Contact is a 1996 film. It was directed by Jonathan Riker Frakes and stars the crew from Star Trek The Next Generation along with Alfred Woodard, Alice Krieg and James Cromwell. The film made $146 million against a $45 million budget. It was well-reviewed by critics who appreciated the performances of Patrick Stewart and the new actors as well as the effects of the Borg and the introduction of more full CG space effects to Star Trek. Jonathan Fakes was chosen as a director after other directors were passed on or themselves passed on the project. The production team wanted someone who understood and knew Star Trek better. Fakes had directed episodes of The Next Generation, DS9 and Voyager by this point. And there's lots of other stuff about design of the ship and effects and so on. Mm -hmm. There's a new ship, by the way. Yeah. It it's, was a new ship. That's why so I made sure to specify Enterprise E mm -hmm. in the synopsis. <laughs> yeah. I, I did see in your notes, you were like, hey, the ship looks different. Oh, yeah, they blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aesthetically, I really love the Enterprise E, especially in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it, I don't know. Obviously, we never get to know it as well as the Enterprise D, but it's it's so pretty. Yeah. It, it really does feel like the 90s version of yeah. Star Trek compared to the 80s style that we had from uh, from the right. next generation. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Uh, Sarah, how were you able to watch this? Um, it shouldn't surprise anybody, but I own it on DVD. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Just this one? No, I actually own all of them um, because I somebody was giving them away. Um, like a friend of a friend was giving away all of their um, Star Trek film DVDs. So then for a while I had two copies of several <clears throat> of them. But I think when I moved recently, I brought it back down to one of each. Yeah. <laughs> Giving away Star Trek. I don't understand. I know it was weird. I think it might have been like their ex moved out of the house kind of situation. Okay. Like they weren't theirs. Take it, take it, take it. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, Mandy. Um, Joseph does own all of the Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. So I was able to watch from his collection. But it is available on the IMDb channel for free with commercials. Oh. What's the IMDb channel? Is this an, another streaming service? or? Well, it's a channel that's available on Amazon. Okay. It's a free channel on Amazon. And I, you might be able to add it to Roku as well. Um, but IMDb has a channel now and no, it's free. I think that's an America thing. I don't. I don't think we have any of that in Canada. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you want to watch it for free with commercials in the States, there you go. Cool. Um, it's on Sky over here, and I own it. Of course it is. Would you believe? And of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> this is in a box set of all the movies, mm -hmm. which I got to replace all the individual movies. <laughs> so then you did give away Star Trek. Uh, probably to a charity shop or sold on eBay or something, but okay, yeah, it wasn't like I don't want this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it talked about adding three new actors, uh, Alfie Woodard, James Cromwell, and Alice Krieg. Mandy, any experience of them elsewhere? Um, I forgot that we've actually done two movies on the show with Alfred Woodard, so there we go. Um, she was in Scrooge and Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I know her face from, from other things, but those are the two that I can actually name. Um, James Cromwell, when I think of him, I think of him as the farmer and babe. Yeah. 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 That's just, <laughs> that's who he is. 
Um, but he was also in you know, movies like Deep Impact and The Green Mile. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are yeah. wonderful roles as well. Um, Alice Krieg, I was watching it thinking, this woman is so familiar to me, but I cannot place her. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and she's Queen Helena from the A Christmas Prince movies on Netflix. Yeah, I remember seeing her in A Christmas Prince and, like, having to immediately look it up because I was like, why do I know her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, between them and Neil McDonough, we have like lots of Marvel people as well being added to this. Because yeah. Alice Krieg's in one of the Thor movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Neil McDonough obviously is in both DC and Marvel. Um, Alfie Woodard is in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mar- Marvel might be this this, this decade's uh, Grey's Anatomy, maybe. <laughs> and and oh, and Star so, Trek, because yeah. Star Trek is the one from before that. It was always right. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've kind of talked about, you know, similar things that you've seen to this, because we've talked covered what Star Trek you know before. Uh, so, Star Trek First Contact, did you enjoy it? I did. It's my favorite of all of the Star Trek movies we've talked about so far. Oh, really? Nice. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Um. <laughs> well, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the first thing that you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. This is basically just an expanded TNG episode. Okay. And I loved TNG. Um, And so this just gave me a chance to sit there and be in that world and be with the characters that I love in a way that Generations didn't do because Generations was very much Kirk and Picard. Yeah. And so this was the entire crew. Like everybody had something to do. Right. Except for maybe Worf. Um, You know, but he was on DS9 at this point. So he was just kind of shoehorned in. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's why, because it's it's like coming back to an old friend. Mm-hmm. That's what this felt like in a way that Generations didn't. Mm, nice. But okay. with like a way bigger budget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like the TNG that you always wanted, but they could never afford. Mm. Yeah, so, so the, the familiarity like... is something for it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because yeah. I think that's my slight downside on the film is it is it does feel like an expanded episode mm-hmm. and i think it might be the comparison of the the majority if not all of the original series movies feel so much more than the original series itself now there's like at least 10 if not 20 years between them um so yes it would do but this does feel like they've taken that tv show and put it on the big screen and I am perffectly fine with that. Okay, so. nice. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I yeah. think maybe like because other than Worf, they're all on the Enterprise going about their day to day. Whereas mm-hmm. in the original series movies, like they are actually sort of run like reconnecting to go on an adventure or something. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because absolutely the the change in effects, the fact that we're now not just using sort of you know miniatures on a bit of string, <laughs> attacking each other, mm-hmm. things like that. This is you know the big space battles that would then come to DS Nine and Voyager and so on. Yeah, uh, doing cool stuff. It feels awesome. Yeah. Mm. And also, they were able to reuse a lot of the sets and props and costumes and stuff yeah. from this movie, especially in Voyager. Mm. Yeah. Although it, it it goes both ways, so they then used Voyager's. Um, Sick bay for the sick bay scenes because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? Yeah, 
And it already had the EMH built in. That's great. Exactly. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Which, like that cameo, is just... It, it's perfect in it's having so come off you know you know we've talked a lot about things like star wars recently um and some of the dc stuff and some of the marvel stuff and so on doing fan servicey reference characters coming back and all of this and it getting annoying because it's done so poorly and in this it's perfect he fits into the scene it's fun if you know what's going on if you are watching voyager and if you're not it still works mm-hmm. they still give you everything you need yeah. yeah and like it yeah it feels like fan service but not in a bad way, mm. right? Like it's it's like a little a little Easter eggy treat for yeah. fans who know what's going on. Computer, activate the EMH program. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. Twenty Borg are about to break through that door. We need time to get out of here. Create a diversion. This isn't part of my program. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. And because there's basically there's that and the defiant, and I think that's pretty much the only real fan servicey stuff going on. So it's also yeah. not overloaded with it. Every every scene has to have something. You know, oh, it's the Marion Falcon. Oh, it's Lando there's Calizzi. also um, Ethan Phillips plays a little cameo, who's the actor who plays True. Neelix in yes. Voyager. Mm-hmm. He pops in, but not as Neelix. So it's like even more Easter eggy. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but we're closed. And you do understand we have a strict dress code, so you boys don't leave right now. I did catch that one. Yeah, he like he he looks like Neelix. <laughs> he mm. does, but not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the whiskers, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also changed the Borg for this, and this had and still has a lot of contention. So I'm kind of interested in your take on it. This takes the Borg from being zombies, you know, and an unstoppable force, and you know, if, if they defeat one of you, you start fighting for them, and it turns them into a. There is a central point that if you could take that down, it takes down all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it it was a big decision that they made and they really just did it it seems like for narrative mm. reasons like mm. to have a character to have a conversation with. Um but it I don't know it like completely changes what the Borg are. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Uh, Mandy from I I mean uh, what because you've watched Voyager this is the Borg. So it's it's yes. really interesting. What do you think about that idea of introducing? Do you think it is better as this idea? Um, I I think so. Okay. Um, and partly I'm going to say that because I think in my mind I've retconned um the Locutus storyline mm-hmm. to involve a queen. Apparently it didn't, but in my head it did. <laughs> so this is yeah, this is just the Borg that I know. Yeah, and I mean it seems like from. Picard's flashbacky dream nightmare sequences in this movie that mm. when he was Locutus, he did at least digitally or like in his brain meet the queen, the board queen. Hmm. Yeah, the implication that she wanted a mate, another, you know, thing. It's it's all a bit Yeah. Weird. Yeah, you yeah. kind of shouldn't break it down. <laughs> like there's there's another side of it the theory that seven of nine was going to be a borg queen the fact that her full name is seven of nine tertiary ad- tertiary adjunct of unimatrix zero one she's mm-hmm. third in line for the throne is what that sort of implies so that's why she was being in touch with janeway as a training mission for a future queen so that when yeah. one queen dies another one can be initiated something on those lines so Which why is... would they need a secondary like patrick stewart looking borg 
king. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that, she was just lonely. Weird. I mean, because the queen is not, I mean, she is part of the collective. Like, she rules over the collective, but mm-hmm. she has her own individuality. And there's nobody else in the collective who has that. So she is alone mm-hmm. in the middle of the collective, which feels counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You know, she's surrounded by thousands and thousands of Borg on the cube, but none of them can offer her companionship or even like arguments or personality. Mm. So I can imagine that because she has those things, she wants that as well. Okay. But it has to be from somebody she deems worthy enough. Hmm. Yeah, maybe like rather than taking an existing Borg and sort of promoting Mm -hmm. them to be at more of an equal with her, she'd rather go out and find somebody new. Yeah. The the captain of humanity's flagship. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I think that's an interesting different take because I'd always had it in my head that it's a bit like um, the founders in Mm. DS9. The whole, the ocean becomes the drop and the drop becomes the ocean. There's no difference between a founder Mm. and all the founders. But yeah, if there is actually a difference between the the queen, the queen is not just a, you know, avatar. Yeah, Yeah. like a a physical representation of the whole. Mm -hmm. Like in a momentary one. Um, And they kind of, wishy-wash a little bit on that i think not in this movie in this movie it's very clear that she's like an individual but i think voyager kind of complicates that situation a little bit (laughs) um yeah yeah (laughs) they kind of kill her three times at least yeah Yeah. she's she's basically the daleks yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i was thinking in this movie that the borg and the daleks have a lot in common so Mm -hmm. you know I don't know. I've never watched uh, Doctor Who, so I can't comment on that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one of the other big sci-fi discussions around this. Mm. Is the and, and I think it's the Cybermen in, in Doctor Who who do the kind of Borg thing of turning you into them, but it's the the, the zombie-like uh, fighting. Mm. And I think giving them a queen because they you know they always described it as the the um, the hive and so on. So you know, having a queen sort of makes sense in those terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it really is just for the story. Yeah. So in terms of the story, do you think it's good? Do you think taking data and giving him skin in certain places is the right way to go? Um, I mean, if your goal is to be really creepy, then yes. (laughs) I mean, I found it to be extraordinarily cruel. Yes. Um, Oh. But, yeah, I think for what she was trying to do, it makes sense mm-hmm. i i didn't question it while watching okay. the movie it it seemed to fit and i understood her motivations mm-hmm. yeah she's trying to give data exactly what he wants to get her get him on her side right yeah. and i imagine from her perspective it's better to have a machine that is sort of human than to have a human that you've had to turn into a machine like for what she's trying to do, because she can program or reprogram him, hmm. even though he still has some of that individuality that she's looking for. Yeah. And it's more like maybe of a compliment to her. Like she's, um, I don't know about human, but she's a life form that has right. had machine added, whereas data is going to then be like the inverse of that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, meet in the middle somewhere. That's mm. nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she is very human. There's no, yeah. you know, bumpy forehead, spiky ear things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her head was huge, but... <laughs> With all the cable stuff on the back. Yeah, yeah and just, I, I don't know if it's just because of the way they had to do, like, the bald cap and stuff, but mm. if you looked at her head on, she was almost, like, cone-headish. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I never really... Weird. That never bugged me. I don't know, like, never was noticeable to me. I don't know. It's just what she looks like. <laughs> In terms of design, it's very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it's they, they said that they um, hired her because they'd seen her work on other things where she sort of combined this like malevolent sexiness, mm. and it is. Mm. It's like you know she's showing skin, but it's also really like insect-like, and yeah, she feels and wrong. <laughs> when you realize that the only part of her that's actually skin is like her or like actually biological is like her head and her mm-hmm. spinal cord and her sort of shoulder area yeah yeah, her, yeah she's i i found her performance to be reminiscent or, or i guess since this came first um kate blanchett and lord of the rings hmm. yeah I, they're very similar to mm. me yeah no it's that Although... like horror sexiness kind of yes thing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really alien. Slightly like I don't know what's going on here, and I got to second guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that she takes her time with it all. She always believes she's in control. She knows what's going on, so doesn't need to rush it at any stage. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so good. So the other bit of this—it's called Star Trek: First Contact, mm-hmm. which is quite a good name for it um there were a lot of names because they were going to set this in the renaissance at one point because they thought that would be fun yeah. patrick stewart apparently refused to put on tights <laughs> 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 which i don't believe frankly no 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 um yeah from hearing them talk about this i think by the time it came to like even came to jonathan frakes as the director it was pretty much exactly mm. what ended up getting shot and first contact is the vulcans Mm-hmm. And they try to sort of keep it hidden as long as they can. Like, you know, the ship comes down and then he comes down and then finally throws with the ears. It's like, oh, it's the Vulcans. Because of course it's the Vulcans. Yeah, who else was it <laughs> right. going to be? <laughs> Man- Mandy, did it I mean, surprise you? Did you it was go the like, Vulcans, right? oh, the Vulcans? No, I always, this wasn't a reveal, right? Like, <laughs> right? I always knew first contact was the Vulcans. So... My only thought was maybe in trying to market this movie to non-Star Trek fans. So you'd have like either the excitement of seeing the Vulcans or the reveal that it's Vulcans. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. But maybe. didn't they even say in the movie that it was the Vulcans? No, like... and, and that's the thing. They keep saying aliens and alien spaceship. Oh, the aliens will be in the system at 11.15. Okay. It's so like they are trying to keep it secret, and it's just. But of course, it's the Vulcans. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I think I just heard them say Vulcan. Yeah, I just assumed time. Yeah. Alien equals Vulcan. Because at eleven o'clock, an alien ship will begin passing through this solar system. Alien? You mean extraterrestrials? More bad guys? Good guys. They're on a survey mission. They have no interest in Earth. 
too primitive. Oh. Doctor, tomorrow morning when they detect the warp signature from your ship and realize that humans have discovered how to travel faster than light, they decide to alter their course. And they make first contact with Earth, right here. Here? Uh, actually, over there. It is one of the pivotal moments in human history, Doctor. You get to make first contact with an alien race. And after you do, everything begins to change. I, I, I feel like it's doing something strange there. Where, like, everything else is very assured. Whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. a, a massive film. Exactly like you say, this is an episode. And they know how to write this stuff pretty damn well by this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it splits off into two plots. Mandy, any, any thoughts on the two plots? Any of the characters we're introduced to that you wanted to pick up on? Wow, you put me on the spot with that question. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed both plots. Okay. And I actually forgot until the very end that the crew that was on Earth had no idea that the Borg were on the ship. Mm. Which is yeah. kind of a big thing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, they did, I thought they did a really good job of keeping the two plots sort of like progressing simultaneously without mm-hmm. any connection between them. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. one of the things that I really like about this movie. It's like two separate, like totally separate storylines that obviously have a big impact on each other, but they're not, there's no overlap between them other than at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah. It's nice how they were able to take people from both plots and put them with each other. So like we had Lily go from Earth mm. to the Enterprise and mm-hmm. be part of that plot. And then we have part of the crew on the earth with Zephram Cocker and being part of that plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was nice. It wasn't like all of the new characters were just in the B plot. Right. Yeah. I thought they did that really nicely. Okay. So I, I will throw people at you and you can comment on them. Okay. So Geordie. <laughs> was this the introduction of his new eyes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause in generations he had the visor, visor. still, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was okay. like a, fairly major plot point that the Klingons hacked his visor in that right, movie. Right. So. Maybe that's why he got eyes. Maybe. Who knows? Security hole. Yes, he does have now pretty pretty cybernetic eyes. Yeah. And he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. Better here than I think he ever was in the next generation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I wrote something about um like he he's learned how to be a really great manager like he assembles mm. a crew and they go down to try to fix the broken um phoenix and all that stuff but then he also like totally geeks out over getting to talk to Zephram Cochran and all that stuff <laughs> yeah. you're like oh yeah you're you're still Jordy all deep down <laughs> yeah it's brilliant yeah, yeah. He, he he studied the design of the engine so he's just rebuilding it from memory yeah yeah you know he had a model <laughs> oh absolutely um, so we have the Troys. We have Riker and we have Deanna. The Troys. The Troys. Um, <laughs> if my last name was Riker and I could change it to Troy, I'd probably change it to Troy. Troy is an awesome yeah. last name. Um, I I like his being in command thing. I like him mm-hmm. cajoling Zephram into doing this stuff. I like that he just shoots him at one point. He's like, oh. I'm over this now. <laughs> this is not fun anymore. <laughs> we don't have time for this. Yeah. It's not what Picard would do, but he gets yes. the situation sorted. It's good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally. I did feel like the relationship between Riker and Picard was a little different 
here than what we've seen in the past. Because mm-hmm. I remember it. Which one was it? Generations where we found out that Picard's family died. That's generations. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is generations. So in that one, um, I remember commenting on they didn't really have a friendship relationship. It was still very much captain and first officer mm. because Riker wasn't allowed to pry and talk to him about his family. Mm-hmm. They felt like in this movie they had more of a like rapport. Mm-hmm. Okay. Than they had previously, which I like. Um, and I can't remember what it was like. I mean, it was seven seasons of a TV show, so I would expect they would have had it in there at some point, right? Yeah, there were bits and pieces of it, I would say, like sort of ebbed and flowed depending on the situation. Um, but I don't know. In this one, they I may were also... both like leading their own part of the crew, kind of. Like they were mm-hmm. felt more like equals. Mm. Yeah. Um, I may also be a little bit biased having recently come off of watching Picard okay. and seeing their relationship there, which is very much friend- more friendly, mm-hmm. like yeah. old, old buddies than um, captain and subordinate. So I think that actually does move us a bit into Picard because they try to make him an action hero. And that's that's not my Picard, frankly. <laughs> And him ending up in the sort of John McClane vest, fighting and swinging across the thing at the end is like, stop trying to make action Picard happen. <laughs> it, it felt, it felt like they got there. Like, yeah, it was it was a gradual progression. I thought in this movie, like mm. he was he starts it out very buttoned up or you know whatever whatever, whatever fastenings they used in mm. space, um, and then yeah, space like, slowly, slowly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I loved that by the end of this movie, he was just in his shirt sleeves and they were rolled up and like he was so far from being his like formal self, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I think I noted that in my thoughts, Doc, that it was great just seeing him kind of re- relaxed because we never see him relax. Yeah. He got, he got some sometimes relaxed, but he didn't like to be relaxed around the crew. No. Mm. Yeah. That's why he never played poker with them until the series finale. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get to the end of there. They're trying to make him all. I'm going to go and save a member of my crew. And, and I like that he still generally does it in a Picard way, goes and tries to sacrifice himself. Yeah. But it is, it is Data who solves the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and wins the day. This is, this is one of those discussions of, like, you know. It's always, always about data. Um, Did you see the reversal coming? Did you ever think he'd gone to the Borg side? I was confused because I knew, I mean, especially having just come off of Picard, Mm. I knew where data ends up. Right. So I knew that the end of the movie couldn't be that that data had actually switched sides, but I didn't know if it was something that they were going to have to reverse in his programming or... If he was faking, and turns out he's faking, which is much better. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, it's hard to know now because I've seen it so many times. But I'm trying to remember if I was like tricked by Data's performance. And I, yeah, I don't know. The Borg Queen was, then that's all that matters. <laughs> mm. 
because it is a great moment it is it is the bit that sells the film she is so convinced Mm -hmm. and then he gets his one-liner at her (laughs) resistance is futile yeah (laughs) i like the the development of data as a character because Mm -hmm. You know, the data before he had the emotion chip and the data before seven seasons of, of TNG wouldn't have been able to pull that off. No, that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that they gave him something that would have been difficult for a normal android to do, and he did it so well. Yeah. He does then smash a giant jar of green stuff that kills people instantly that appears to be kept in the middle of engineering next to the warp core. I do question the placement of the giant jar of green stuff. I think that was an addition that the Borg made as part of their Okay. Their no, upgrades. I don't think it is. Because part of their original plan, I don't remember what they called it, but whenever they realized the Borg were on the ship, mm-hmm. their plan was to get to engineering and smash the thing next to the warp core because when it was released, it would destroy all organic material. Oh. Like, that was their original plan before they even saw what the Borg had done. So it's part of the ship somehow? It, it feels like one of those attacks where everyone sort of goes sideways across the set yeah. and someone <laughs> clips it badly or something and right. the show's done. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's hooped. Yeah. yeah. But it, it does have the, the great thing at the ending of, you know, you get the reversal, you get the smash, you get a bit of action and so on. Um, and then you get a nice bonding moment between them. Like the the film really does cover everything a Star Trek film should, without mm-hmm. leaning too far into like the two thousand and nine films, the the Kelvin timeline films that go really hard in sort of sci fi action. Yeah, and and being more than the original series films that are a bit more cerebral, maybe. Yeah, there were lots of funny moments in this though, mm. which is I don't know helps it from being too scary. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it covers that because you've got the the scary, but you've got a lot of very good fun. I mean, that's kind of what Worf is there for a little bit. They use him yeah. to be quite fun throughout. <laughs> I do remember when I first watched it, actually being worried that they were maybe gonna have brought Worf back to this movie from Deep Space Nine to kill him off. Assimilate this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. That would have been yeah. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not like shocked that they didn't do it, but you know, I was mm. like young and loved Worf and loved Deep Space Nine and was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so that was a good relief. Yeah, the the whole bit with the Defiant is awesome. I mean, I mean that is again a bit fan servicey, but it is like, yes, take them, kill them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's fantastic that I am at a point in my life where I recognize a Defiant class ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's a Defiant class ship. Well, I should not know this. And then I was like, maybe it is the Defiant. And then it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec is, mm. the, is the pilot. <laughs> the Defiant. Sir, there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise. I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just oh, one of those, you I'm know. Have to go back. Bit, bit part when he was yeah. a young actor. Yeah, yeah actors getting oh, jobs. That that yeah. Worf wants to fly into the Borg. <laughs> Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed. Of course he does. It's Worf. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, it is a little bit of a shame because the, the instruction of the Defiant is all 
oh yeah, they built this because they were worried the Borg might come back. So they started building a, a ship that could fight the Borg. Mm-hmm. It fights the Borg once and almost gets almost gets destroyed. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it does a much better job of being the defiant mm. than fighting the Borg. But but clearly they didn't know about the unimportant spot that Picard knows to shoot at. Yeah, that that was weird. Mm. That was weird. I was like, why didn't why didn't Picard tell everybody about that spot? Or yeah. alternately, since we know in Star Trek that admirals are generally terrible, maybe he <laughs> did tell them, and they were like, oh no, it can't be that important, and never told anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. More likely the latter. Yeah. Because they, they, the, the line they use is something like, oh, that seems to be, you know, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it seems to be like, oh, it's unimportant. It doesn't do anything. Like, mm-hmm. give us some reason why then. Give us that he's shooting at the bit where the sphere is because he knows that's the important bit. Something. Yeah. Why is it important? Yeah, so strange. And, and like Voyager does that really well, the, the evolution of the Borg on Voyager of like they learn about them. So they start targeting specific bits when they meet the ships. You know, mm-hmm. okay, they're figuring it out as they go. This lot have fought the Borg once. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Although Picard does have a history of that because he like, um, in Best of Both Worlds, he like fires the sleep command when they can't get any other commands to fire mm. and makes them all fall asleep. So. Unimportant spot is clearly his thing. <laughs> Um, who else have we not covered? We haven't touched on Beverly because she doesn't really she get to do anything. Yeah. She's got new hair, yeah. New hair, and... and she's important enough now to have to give her authorization for the auto distract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a really good jacket when she's down on her. Oh, does she? She does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, she she's the main one of the main crew that like doesn't really get anything. Yeah, well, and then and then we come to Deanna, who gets a scene of comedy, and I'm not sure what she does after that. And such she's, a shame. She's fl- she's the flight controller. She's like, yes, she is. <laughs> and then he turns on the music, so she can't say anything. It's just it it's reminding me of what we when we watched the original series once that it's kind of everyone gets one or two lines and. A moment of doing something, but not actually a plot or something. Yeah, which well, is a there's shame. so many though. Yeah. Her moment so is many people. really good though. Is it? I love it. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, it is in my favorite moments, but also Marina Sirtis Sirtis has clearly never actually been drunk before. I think we have to tell him the truth. If we tell the truth, the timeline... Timeline! This is no time to argue about time. We don't have the time. What was I saying? (laughs) Which I think makes it even funnier, but... Yeah. I really like it. It's so... It's cute, is what it is. Mm -hmm. Because it's not the sort of typical drunk... Yeah. Um, going too far with it or something, um, yeah. and you know, heavy slurring and everything. It's just she's quite tipsy. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Riker laughing at her was amazing. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> like I don't think he was acting. No, no I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's consistently makes me laugh, no matter how many times I've watched the movie. Um, but yeah, she doesn't really get like a good charactery moment like mm. 
well, like all the guys do. So Sadly so. Yeah. However, Lily does get a lot of stuff. Lily pretty much gets what would normally be the Deanna role. Talking to the captain um, and you know, that bit at the end, getting some of the explanations, diving into the story so that he can speechify at the end. Um, it's I quite like her learning more about the future and being up in the ship and seeing Australia out of the ship and so on. That's that's a nice moment. But then her bit with him at the end is is pretty much what this film is remembered for. Mm-hmm. When they're in the ready room together. It took me a while to for her character to grow on me because I did not like her to begin with. Okay. Because all she did was yell. Right. Like she yelled, she was kind of hysterical, and she didn't come across as particularly likable or interesting. Um, but after she met Picard, she became more interesting mm-hmm. and she stopped yelling. Okay. <laughs> which was nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that scene in their ready room with the the ships and stuff is just like so yeah so great um and i like i mean i like i guess it had to be lily because nobody no member of the crew would yell at picard like that okay right um and and they didn't right that's why beverly's like the captain gave us an order we're gonna do it Mm. and lily's like no and so she goes and follows him and calls him on it Nobody. I. I don't think Deanna would have called him on it if she had been up there. I think it had to be an outsider. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't do an explicit. You know, I'm not part of his crew thing. She just does the thing. Right. It's nice because. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm. And I like the reversal. You know, it, it, he. It, she calls him Ahab. He quotes Moby Dick, and she's like, "I never read it. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I. I know the reference. It's fine. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah." It's good. It's it's a good character. It works. She, she, I think. I think she owns it. I think it's a, you know, it's a memorable one. Yeah, and it, that part feels realistic because I know more about Moby Dick from this movie than I do from anything else. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Is there also something that it kind of inverts the Star Trek trope of the villains quoting Shakespeare and you know classic classic literature and stuff? <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't even think about that, mm, but yeah. I hadn't thought about it until now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We always have to have classic literature invoked, but doing it this way was definitely different. Mm. Yeah. And funny. So I want to go back to the Borg for a, for a minute. Okay. I have a question. So they made great show in this movie of once they assimilate somebody Mm -hmm. they give them implants right they showed them connecting the thing in the eye giving the guy a new arm but when they assimilated hawk Mm -hmm. outside of the ship Mm -hmm. with no equipment all they did was inject him with the borg nanite things don't let them touch you he suddenly had these massive implants inside his helmet yeah yeah. Right. Do the nanites create the implants? Does it just like is it hand wavy, whatever they want? Like, based on I don't understand how Voyager nanites can do whatever they need to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So sometimes they have to give them hardware, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. For plot reasons. Got it. 
maybe it had to build face stuff for him because the tubules had punctured the suit, so it had to give him breathing thingies? Maybe. Because maybe the breathing? Yeah, <laughs> breathing is important. Can your voice get any higher? higher? Yeah, it's... It... <laughs> It, it, it is the horror stuff because it's also you know Neil Madonna gets gets assimilated, goes up, grabs Worf, turns the suit, and then turns his head so we can see the implants. Yeah, right. It's so like, and now I'm a monster. Dun dun dun. Yeah. dun. <laughs> and it's like, was that scene shot because it was needed for the movie or it was needed for the trailer? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's which funny. I don't remember if it's in the trailer, but <laughs> but it, it feels it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the outside of the ship bit. It's kind of cool. It's a bit different for Star Trek to do something on those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've never really gotten that, mm. as far as I know, until now. Mm. The The one thing that was weird was, like, the gravity generators are very specific. Like, there's a hard boundary of the outside of the ship. Mm-hmm. The gravity generators just magically stop working. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In, in Inside the ship, the gravity outside... We can't no generate it, so you can walk on it. Like, surely it would have been useful to have it. That it... Yeah. I don't know. But. But, but the shots are cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. And, you know, you know the effects do make this film. If we're yeah. talking, you know, the, the like great sci-fi stuff, the kind of aliens horror-esque stuff of the Borg taking over mm-hmm. the ship is really good. The effects on the Borg bit. You know, the, the bit with the screw going into the eye Ugh. is fairly graphic. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, Did not like. Yeah. No. The the the, and the the really higher like substantially higher quality Borg makeup prosthetics and Mm. costumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you like watch this or watch Voyager and then go back to like the original Borg episodes in Next Generation. You're like, oh yeah, they were very minimalist Borg. Mm. None of that green stuff. (laughs) <laughs> no. This this introduced the queen and the color green to the book. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like the before like the color that before this I would associate with the Borg is the red from like their like eye the, gun thing. L- yeah, laser thing. Because I I think in certainly the first episode they're, they're very just like grey. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Colors. But now it is it, and it, it's not just green, it's the Disney evil green. That sort of yes. lime green of like yes. Scar. <laughs> yeah. Scar Brilliant. and Maleficent. Yeah. Very mm. evil green. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much. Yeah. Um, the other thing about the Borg that I feel like is not done well from a continuity perspective mm. is you can't save anybody who's been assimilated from the Borg unless your name's in the credits. <laughs> And then yes. we can save you. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've already seen Picard become fully assimilated and then unassimilated. Like, he doesn't even have implants anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, they made him fully human, right? And we've never seen that. with it. Even even in Picard, the show, where mm-hmm. they were, do you know, they made them XBs, they all still had remnants. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and Picard was able to fully get rid of all of his implants. And, and so why is his perspective... If you come across a crewman who's been assimilated, kill them because yeah. you're doing them a favor, right? But then he tries to save Data. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. they're not going to try to save Hawk or Ensign Lynch. We're just going to kill them. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, it's not consistent, and I wish it was. And, I mean, I get it. You know, they're, I guess, I think this world's version of the red shirt, but. Yeah. And, like, with Lynch, like, they were in such an emergency situation that there was no, like, you can't just, like, stash him somewhere until you have a minute mm-hmm. to mm. save him. Whereas, like, yeah, with all the ones at the end, I mean, maybe they saved a bunch of the ones, like, all the Borg that were left on the ship. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it was just interesting. Yeah, watching no. It. Yeah, I mean, if they, if there's a line of, you know, but it took Deanna and this thing and this thing for me to be able to be saved. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have the time. We cannot do that here with so many people. Like, you know, I was the only Borg on board. So it's right. different. It's a, you know, you, but it needs that line almost just to mm-hmm. sort of hand wave it away a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a little bit like, oh, like how traumatizing that experience was to him that like yeah. he would rather like if he will put somebody else through it, even though it saved his life. True. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it is one of the things of like, oh, they never explored it and they never really went into the effect of it. And they, they were talking about this in the build up to Picard. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to look at him with the Borg and do some of that. It's like, but they did like go into it a bit on the show because they had a number of Borg episodes and we had a movie about it. You know, yeah. we, we have covered Picard and the Borg. You know? And like, we know that he's still traumatised by it based on yeah. this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was and cool having him meeting Seven. That that w- that would be more interesting to see that evolving, their differences yes. and similarities. Yes. That was, that was my favourite part about Picard. Hmm. Not to turn this into a Picard episode but yeah so um the other thing for me it's not related to the borg is i um liked the little bit of hand waving they did a lot of hand waving in this movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but they did this little hand wavy (laughs) thing to explain why the vulcans didn't detect the enterprise (laughs) right did they hide behind the moon i think something yeah, something like that, like that. <laughs> um or some com i don't know yeah. but they they had a line that explained it so it was Brilliant. great but what i don't understand though is how the 21st century wouldn't have detected the enterprise in orbit around the earth I right i think it's an indication of like how ravaged by world war 3 everything was mm-hmm. you know the fact that it's like random dudes in montana not really associated with any government or large corporation it's just like they're just random people building a spaceship right like there's not really big government or big corporations left it's kind of just like blobs of people doing their best okay okay i can i can i can work with that i can go with that yeah the timing of world war three now that we're much closer to it is right (laughs) (laughs) interesting could it happen yeah yeah (laughs) but so i was thinking about it and it's like it seems when the when the sort of star trek timeline was established in like the Mm -hmm. 60s or 70s you know like going almost 100 years until there was a world war at that point seems like that would be amazing Mm. you know they'd had two world wars within 50 years at that point basically whereas now that we're as we're getting closer it seems much more pessimistic to think about a world mm, war yes. happening in the 2050s mm-hmm. and, and it yeah. again being fundamentally different like you know yeah who, who knows what the world's gonna look like in june frankly um <laughs> there is that 
Yeah. We we should start putting a thing at the beginning, just complete tangent. We should start putting a thing at the beginning, like, this was recorded on the 11th of May, and, you know, lockdown was yeah. at this stage in these countries, and <laughs> <laughs> we all want to go to New Zealand, because they better have it sorted out. <laughs> right. I always want to go to New Zealand, not just because of this. Well, yeah, there is that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, funny New Zealand story about this movie. I lived in New Zealand mm. for my third year of university, and I went just with like a suitcase and a backpack okay. and my, you know, 2002 laptop of giganticness with a CD or DVD drive on it. And nice. I took a limited number of DVDs because I knew that I didn't have a lot of space, but also I wouldn't be able to, um, any DVDs that I bought there would be region encoded and wouldn't okay. work mm-hmm. on my on my computer. And this was one of the DVDs that I took with me. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I watched it a lot that year. <laughs> yeah, you know, you talk about it is fun and it's action, it's interesting. Like, this is a very rewatchable film. Yeah. So yes. Some of them have aged better or worse. This, I think, does still hold up even after mm-hmm. Voyager and other, you know, big sci-fi yeah. bits of the franchise. Oh, absolutely. And it's got the great character moments of those mm-hmm. TNG characters that I love. Yeah. Yeah. So then, are we ready to actually gush about this movie and talk about our favorite moments absolutely matthew do you want to kick us off i, I i've mentioned the effects a bit mm-hmm. and like I, I could part of that is because i can remember watching like movie shows on tv talking about upcoming movies and interviews with people who were designing the borg and the fact that the borg led things flash morse codes of people's names and so on like cool stuff like that they were doing some awesome things the, the effects on data where he's got like the skin and real eye on his face mm-hmm. and half not his real skin, half his android skin. So, like, it's really good. You, yeah. You, you can see the scene, but you're meant to. So that mm-hmm. works. But the introduction of the Borg Queen, and, and this is the thing, I had seen that shot already several times because they went on about it so long. Like, it is, it's cool to watch it now. And, and they duplicate it a little bit in Voyager, but not as well. Mm-hmm. Because. I don't think anything like this had particularly been done on film. She comes down as a disembodied torso, goes into the suit, and she's talking, and then she walks forward in the scene. Like, there's no cuts, mm-hmm. there's no seams. It is just... Uh, okay. I, I'm, you see that done now with pure CG, and it's done very well. But in 1996, that was quite a step forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the sort of wriggling of the electronic spinal column. Again, like it's got this weird sort of insecty snake-like thing going mm-hmm. on, but also she's in like tight-fitted leather outfit. You know, they're nice. they're doing a lot of different things with her. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, and yeah, they hold up surprisingly well. Surprisingly mm. well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because you you look at stuff that comes after it, and it's not necessarily as good. It's it's so impressive. Yeah. Um, I think some of the effects that didn't hold up as well were when they were walking on the ship. Yeah. You know, when Picard, like, floated across. <laughs> yeah. Like, that wasn't super great, but... And yeah, it's, it's little overall, things there, was, like yeah. the steam looks like it's under... Gra- the, the bit where he shot the ship looks like it's under gravity. So when you suddenly see it upside down, you're like, uh, it's falling the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's almost the uncanny valley effect. Mm-hmm. But the, bit of, the, the introduction of the queen, I, I think, is just still... One of the great moments in CG. It's, you know, like the, um, the T-1000 in Terminator 2. It's one of those moments of like, okay, they're doing cool stuff here. This is what the future yeah. looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the new ship looks good. 
you know, the new ship does look good. That's a cinematic change. It really does look because because it's all CG. It's not a miniature anymore, so they can do like kind of cool stuff with like flashing lights on it and make it a little bit more sleek because it doesn't have to hang off a string anymore. Brilliant. Yeah, I liked how a lot of the camera shots were designed to show off the new ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just just the way they angled things when they were like walking down the hallway, so you could see the flashy lights mm. and things. Um, it, I I enjoyed that because they do always like to show off the new ships yeah. after they've destroyed one and rebuilt the new one. <laughs> yeah, it's almost a shame we yes. don't get a lot of time before it starts getting taken over to sort of. Okay, what is the layout of the bridge now? What does engineering now look like? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we will, yeah. but it's yeah. it's nice. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a new ship until um, we got a good shot of the bridge. Brilliant. And I was right. like, wait, that's not my bridge. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah, they yeah. blew it up. No, they crash landed it. Yeah. Yep. That's what it was. Yeah, Deanna's at the hill. <laughs> she crash landed it really well. She did. She, she absolutely very well. did. It was a very skilled landing. There was a cool note about the design of the new ship. That like the only thing they had about what the ship looks like was the the introduction to it is the ship comes out of a nebula sleekly, and that was what they had sleekly. to go on for how they designed it. <laughs> they they achieved that. It's yeah, kind of cool. Is, yeah, it is very sleek compared to the like big absolutely. saucer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Mandy, what about you? Favorite stuff? Things that you liked? Because you liked um, the film in general. So I did. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. We've talked about some of them. You know, the ready room scene with Lily and Picard. Um, Troy drunk. Those were great. <laughs> um, I really liked at the beginning, though, when um, Picard finally decides that he has to go after the Borg, regardless of what the orders are. Mm-hmm. Um, and Data speaks up and he's like, I think I speak for everybody to hell with our orders. Like, I love that they gave that line to Data. Why? Why, why, why Data? Why does that make you? Because it's an emotionally charged line. Okay. It's, it's a very passionate line. It's a, it's a line that somebody says whenever they're, you know, it's he's supporting Picard. He's supporting the Federation. It's, it's very much yeah let's go get them right <laughs> and and that's not necessarily a data thing i mean we saw some of that in in generations when he got the emotion chip you know and we got to see um like his yes <laughs> thing um and it, it was very much in that, that same vein yeah nice um if anybody else had said it it would have just been another line okay so. nice yeah right sarah one of your favorites. Um, Have you got that list of your top five yet for us? Have you been working on that in the background? Oh, top five all movies? <laughs> no, that that takes more than this t- okay. amount of time. Um, when, you co- when you come back, you'll have to bring a top okay. ten. And, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, the score. The score in this movie mm. is mm-hmm. beautiful. I love it. It like flits in and out, like the opening credits, the closing credits, and then like when it pops in and out. But then you also get the bits of the like classic score like from the show for the like opening credits um theme from the show is great um it's like super artsy and weird but i really like it at the very close to the very beginning um when there's like the mirror reflection and then Riker walks into the mirror reflection when he's listening to the Berlioz opera Mm. it's just like one of those Mm -hmm. like super artsy shots but it it works and it's kind of like Oh yeah, look, we've got real glass windows now. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Emotions um, are happening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um 
Yeah, and overall, I like the costumes, like the mix of like Earth clothes and space yeah. clothes. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we talked about like Picard's sort of sleepless action hero <laughs> yeah. look by the end. Awesome. Like, yeah, it felt pretty earned by the end of it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that I, was I, fun. I, I quite like we when we talked generations, we were tracking a bit with the um, uniform changes because they started putting some of them in DS9 uniforms. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool that this is when the uniform changes for DS9 into the wartime uniform with the gray lapels. Yes. Because of the my... uniform they introduce here. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, this is my favorite Star Trek oh, really? uniform, I think. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, those are my favorites. But yeah, if I had to pick one favorite from the movie, it would be the score. Mm. It's yeah. wonderful. I did think of you, Mandy, when it started. And it's like, oh, it's the bit of music that Mandy likes that wasn't in Generations at all. <laughs> right. So I think it's interesting because one of my favorite things about Star Trek for me is that theme, mm-hmm. right? That that little bit, that intro says Star Trek to me. It has always meant Star Trek to me. And I was shocked whenever we went back to like the original movie and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Right, like it, it's been a progression of them like slowly adding it into the movies, and I don't think I ever realized until we went through this process that it was really something that TNG took ownership of. Yeah, of, of that because it was made for thing. the first film, and then kind of dropped. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and TNG kind of brought it back, and I think that's why I always thought that's the Star Trek theme, mm-hmm. right? Because every other show has had it. In some sort of way, mm-hmm. like minor, but that's just, that's Star Trek to me. Okay. And so to have it be so prominent in this movie was wonderful. Nice. And it, and it is nice how you get the hint of it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then at the end credits, it comes in mm-hmm. full gusto. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so great. <laughs> yeah, it's a great film. It's, it's, it is. It, it stands up and it's fun. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Star Trek First Contact? I think that's everything that I had. Okay. Yeah. M- Mandy, can you remind me about Insurrection and Nemesis? Have you seen them? I don't know anything about it. I'm sure I did. I'm sure it's just like these. Okay. This one that I have. I know I've seen Nemesis because I remember bald Tom Hardy. Brilliant. But I don't know what it's actually about. Not just Bull Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy with prosthetics. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't tell you what any of them are about. So we're definitely going to continue watching. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll give me a good excuse to rewatch those ones. (laughs) Instead of just continuously rewatching this one when I feel like a Star Trek movie. Yeah, it it is quite nice doing this very slow work through them. Like mm-hmm. each time, it then makes me anticipate the next one. Like, okay, in a few months, I'll get to watch the next one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I think I need to set a goal for myself though. Before we do the next one, I need to actually finish Deep Space Nine. Yeah, you do. <laughs> because I'm 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 in the last season. Like I'm at maybe episode oh, eight or nine yeah. of the last season. So I really need to step it up and, and finally finish. In fact, I think I think Insurrection is set basically during the last episode of DS9. Or like okay. very just after it, something on those lines. Or like, yeah, because the last mm. episode's like an eight-parter, basically. Or something yeah, ridiculous. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that so... as well. Yeah. 
So I'm almost to the last episode that I'm hearing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. I don't know about okay. on Netflix, but on like the um, like IMDb and stuff, it it like it's like one part one, part two, part three, etc. Mm. For a long time. Oh wow. Yeah, they they basically went, hey. We're finishing. The network can't tell us not to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make a 10-part serial. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting close. So I will I will make it a goal to do that before we watch the next one. Cool. Okay. Yes. All right. Promise. I promise. Good. More Star Trek. I promise I will try. <laughs> I promise you will try. Thank you. <laughs> I promise I will try. <laughs> All right. If you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing on Star Trek. It's always exciting when someone does. <laughs> yes. Always um, happy to talk about Star Trek. Where, where can people find you? Where can they find Nature Finds a Way? Yeah, so Nature Finds a Way is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Nature Finds a Pod. Um, and then I also have another podcast all about whales and science and cetaceans. Uh, and that's at uh, Whale Tales Org. Um, T A L E S, like the stories. Um. Ah, <laughs> clever. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Thoroughly recommend checking them out. Thank you very much for joining us. Is there Thank anything you else you, you would want to tell us you think that Mandy should go and find? Hmm. I mean,. I'm just in general recommending Schitt's Creek to everybody that I talk to these days because <laughs> it's Canadian and I'm Canadian and it's just delightful. So if you haven't seen that, I would recommend it. Not necessarily for the podcast, just in general. I just finished season one. Nice. So I'm slowly, like, it's the one that I go to when I just kind of want something light and fun. Yes, exactly. That yes. That's what I go to. And yeah. so I yeah, and the last kind of season do it. is on Netflix, like mid-May, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and who doesn't want light and fun at the moment? That is what we're on search for. (laughs) Basically. Uh, Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by our lovely listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content, early access to shows, bonus shows. You can get exclusive physical merch like stickers and magnets and coasters. If you want to find out more, you can visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about cellular with Lindsay, also from Nature Finds a Way. Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And you broke your little ships. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.